Words. That is the human tool I'm about to use. But it's also the name of this parsha. Devarim, words. But Devarim is also things. And there are things behind the words. We're going to get to that a little later. The book of Devarim, also known as the book of Deuteronomy, is the first bidrash, the first interpretation. It is a retelling of much of the Torah. And it adds and takes away and changes, just as Midrash does. And as this parasha begins, Moses is giving a speech, a very long speech, to the new Israelites, the ones born during the journey through the wilderness, during these 40 years of wandering. So Moses is telling history. And like any historian, he's changing history as he tells it. The Exodus and the revelation at Sinai that Moses relates in Varim are not the same as they were a few books before. And this is why the book is called in Greek Deuteronomy Second Telling. That's what it is. History is words, and it is a second telling with all the beauty and all the possibility for omission that words and telling have. Every historian has to know where to begin, and Moses begins his story not with the Exodus and not with Sinai, but with what happens after Sinai, with the wilderness and the command to enter the land of Canaan. In some ways, the most relevant beginning for the people about to enter the land. And Moses reminds the people of a particular incident in which Moses appointed judges and leaders to help govern the people, because he says... I cannot carry you all by myself. How can I bear without help the trouble of you and the burden and the bickering? Therefore, pick from among your tribes people who are wise and knowing, and I will put them at your head. So it makes sense that Moses is talking about tribal government since they are going to need government. And it makes sense that he's fetching because it's been a long 40 years. But Moses is leaving something out. Moses implies that he proposed this system of tribal government. But he didn't. It was Jethro, Yitro, the father of Moses' wife, Zipporah, a Midianite priest, who told Moses to appoint this tribal hierarchy. And he proposed it not only because Moses was fed up, but because the people were not being well served by being judged by only one person. The people were exhausted, and Moses was exhausted because Moses was trying to deal with all of their issues, and he was probably ignoring his wife and kids to boot. So Jethro, who has a stake in the matter, says to Moses, the thing you are doing is not good, and he suggests the possibility of sharing leadership with others. And this is the part of the story Moses completely ignores in the retelling. It seems to have slipped his mind. Maimonides, the Jewish philosopher of the 12th century Cairo, notices this and he says the following. Seems to me that Moshe, Moses, did not wish to make mention of Yitro before the entire nation of Israel, either out of modesty 
or because this generation would not view in a positive light the fact that he had taken a Cushite wife, so it was damage control. Or it was all really God's idea anyway, so Jethro didn't need any credit. Jethro was just confirming what the Shekhinah had already said to Moses. There's another possibility that Maimonides doesn't suggest. And that is that after 40 years, Moses has forgotten what happened. And he thinks it really was his idea. (laughs) Or, maybe, since Jethro has gone home to Midian and was a father figure for Moses, who Moses will never see again, maybe it's just too painful to remember. Later, Jewish sources frown on the idea of not quoting your teachers. In Perkei Avot, it is written, a person who quotes the source brings deliverance to the world. In fact, the whole rabbinic enterprise is based on the quoting of sources. Probably a quarter of the Talmud consists of Rabbi X said in the name of Rabbi Y. And recently, I had the opportunity to ordain some of my beloved rabbinic students at the Academy for Jewish Religion to put my hands on their heads and bless them with the tradition with which I have been blessed. And that moment is always one of my best moments. It's so full to pass on a mystery you have received from your teachers to your students. So why the irony that our first teacher, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher, forgets his own teacher? Perhaps this is itself a teaching. And perhaps this is to remind us that the loss of our first teachers, the loss of our first teachers can be so painful that we want to forget them. We are now approaching very closely to Shabbat, the commemoration of the temple's destruction. And the events of the destruction of the first and second temples were not only devastating catastrophes for our people that meant terrible loss of life, land, and meaning, but were also the birth of the Judaism that we know. The destruction of the first temple led to the canonization of the Bible. And as for the second temple, There is a legend that Yochanan ben Zakkai, a great sage, was carried out of Jerusalem as the city was burning in a coffin, as if he were dead, in order to save him. And that sage went to a small town called Yavna and started a school, and he began the Judaism that we know. And the sages of that era conceived this genius idea that they were going to make their sacred space portable, so nobody could take it away or send them away from it. They were going to put it in a scroll about this big that you could take anywhere. Words. They were going to put it in words. Brilliance. But there are things behind words. The temple was our first teacher. A sacred place we could bring our bodies as well as our souls. And when we went into exile, we not only lost that teacher, we forgot it. We even deprecated it. Our scholars said, well, we had a temple because we weren't evolved enough yet to live only in the world of ideas. Now we can exist purely in the world of Torah. And we came to believe that truth lies outside the physical world because the physical world is so full of pain. And we let go of our connection to the body and in some ways to the land. So much so that the Talmud says this world, this physical world we live in, is only a corridor to the world to come. And Jewish teachers encouraged people to ignore the body to the point that the Vilna Gaon studied Torah all night with his feet in a bucket of ice water to keep him awake. And I do appreciate that dedication. Don't get me wrong. 
but the message that the body should be ignored is maybe one we might want to shift. Especially when ignoring the body also means that we work too hard, don't sleep enough, don't know where our clothes and food come from or if our food is really food, or whether our cell phones are being made by slaves. Ignoring the body can mean ignoring other bodies, the bodies of people we're hurting. In this land, in Israel, in Syria, in Tibet, in all the places where people are in conflict and people are being hurt. The body is the real. The body is complex. The body has conflicts and torments. And it's hard to know what to do with the body. Because it's so painful and so vivid and so real. And yet ignoring the body can mean blithely going along while our climate becomes more and more extreme. Or while we're missing connections with our loved ones. Or while we're not noticing what's happening in the world. Just as for the Kabbalists, let's be honest, it meant getting high in meditation and studying while not always being aware of what was going on in their own homes with their wives. Ideas are powerful, and we can't live in the world of ideas. We have to live in this world. The body may be the most carnal element of our soul material, but when we ignore it, we pay the price. This generation of ethicists and eco-theologians and yogis and yoginis and Shekhinah devotees and Jewish farmers is reminding us of those early teachers, the body and the world, which our ancestors knew to be holy. But there are other teachers we've repressed. We repressed a lot of our folk culture in Eastern Europe. Many of our legends and beliefs, including our beliefs about people who have died, and our ongoing relationship with them, our traditions about the soul. Because the Holocaust was so traumatic, we could no longer think in those terms. Whole movements gave up on those teachings, which were with us for thousands of years. For generations, we repressed the Kabbalah. We forgot about it, because so many masters and teachers of Kabbalah were lost, because we bought into rationalism, and now we're having to redig it up, and thank God somebody thought of words so that we can actually do that and transform and do midrash on that old tradition. We always have to learn again from the teachers whom we repressed for so long. We must always return to the teachers we lost because they are the foundations for who we are. And maybe this is the reason why, at the very beginning of Devarim, Moses, our teacher, makes this very telling slip in his story and erases his teacher Jethro out of pain or embarrassment, or pride, or forgetting. Let's learn from our teacher Moses, even from his mistakes. For it is true that one who quotes a teacher, even a forgotten teacher, brings redemption to the world.